All right, come with me please this morning to John chapter 21. John's Gospel chapter 21. And we'll read the first few verses together. So reading from John 21 verse 1. All right, uh, John chapter 21, is this okay, is this, we're all right, John chapter 21, and we'll read uh, these first few verses together. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, it's all the same sea we're talking about, and in this way he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. And plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now this 
John's Gospel, chapter 21, uh, concerns that specifically that period of time uh, between Christ's resurrection and his ascension and the events and the contact he had with his disciples during that period. Now, Jesus appeared to his disciples as a group three times during between his resurrection and his ascension, which was roughly about six weeks, or to be more exact, 40 days. And the first time he appeared to them, uh, there was just 10 of the disciples present. Judas had hung himself. Thomas was not there. Second time he appeared to them, obviously Judas not being there, but 11 disciples this time because Thomas was there on that occasion. But here the third time, which was just a couple of weeks before his ascension, uh, we find that there was only seven disciples there, five whom are named, two unnamed. It's also interesting to note as well that about during this period uh, when Jesus was meeting with them, this 40-day period, he would just simply appear and disappear at will. He would just walk through unlocked doors and walk through walls. And they never knew when he was coming or when he was going, except for the first time when he sent word to meet them in Galilee. But apart from that, they never knew exactly when and how he was going to appear. Uh, this miracle of the fish is, is actually the third time also uh, that Jesus was connected with a miracle of fish uh, with the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the first time was right at the beginning of his ministry where he borrowed the disciples' boat and then he told them to go out and cast their nets out into the deep and let them in their net for a draft. The second time was whenever, uh, singularly with Peter, when Peter was having that conversation about the temple tax that was to be paid. And Jesus says, go out and cast a hook in and the fish that you catch will have money in its mouth and when he got that fish, there was silver in its mouth, enough to pay the temple tax. And so we come then to this third period, which, as you see, is just prior to his leaving his earthly ministry behind. And he appears to his disciples here uh, one more time. It's also interesting, again, that Jesus, during this 40-day period between his resurrection and ascension, that he only ever appeared to believers. He didn't appear to unbelievers. Now, if he had appeared to unbelievers, no doubt many would have believed in him because they would have had the evidence and proof before them in their sight that he was resurrected from the dead. But he did not appear to them deliberately so because from now on, everyone was going to have to believe in him the exact same way that you and I have got to believe in him, by faith and believing the message of the gospel of his cross that is preached. That's how we believe. And that's how then they were going to have to believe from that point on through the preaching of those early uh, disciples. Now, this is a strange time for his disciples. Strange in that for the first time in just over three years that they did not have his undivided physical presence with them on a daily basis. For almost three and a half years, every single day, almost without exception, 
Jesus would be with them. And they could speak to him and they could handle him. They could touch him. They'd eat with him. But now, over this period, it's not like that anymore. He comes. He goes. He appears. He disappears. And not only that, they can no longer relate to him just on a physical basis as they had done before. It's going to be different now. Very, very different. Nothing that they had ever experienced before. And so their approach to Jesus was going to have to be very different because his approach to them was going to be different. Because he would be physically different. As I said, he would have this wonderful ability just to appear in their presence and just leave their presence unannounced. And so this was a time whenever it would be a kind of an in-between time, a, a kind of a transition period, uh, a, a kind of a time whenever they would be uncertain of what was going to happen. Uh, they thought they had lost him at the cross, but in the resurrection they found him again. But now, after that, what's he going to do? Well, the next time he disappears, will that be the last time? Will he ever come back again? They weren't sure. They didn't know at this point. And so, he's not around much these days. Everything's different. Would you and I, if we had been in that position, would we have thought any differently? Would we have acted any differently than the disciples? So it's easy for us sitting here today, reading our Bibles, knowing the whole story, seeing it from beginning to end. It's easy for us to say, well, it's simple. But it wasn't simple for them. They didn't know what was going to happen. At this point, Jesus hadn't given them any direction. He just appeared and he disappeared. And in fact, this time when he appears, it had probably been a month since the last time he appeared. And so it's a difficult period. It's a time of uncertainty. It's, it's 40 days, which in the Bible invariably speaks of a testing time. Remember, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Uh, and so 40 days is, is a testing time. Moses, for example, the middle years of his life, 40 years, was a testing time. Out there in the backside of the desert looking after sheep when he was called to be the great deliverer of Egypt. So it was a testing time for him. Uh, and it was a testing time for the children of Israel when Goliath for 40 days was goading them to come and do battle. It was a testing time. And so there's many, many 40-day periods and 40 weeks and 40-year periods that are testing times in the Bible. And this was a testing time for them. What about you? What about me? Have we ever experienced one of these in-between times? One of these transitional periods? Uh, one of these passages where you are not quite sure what God's up to? You know, what's her future hold? You see, what, what were these disciples transitioning to? That was the big question in their minds. Well, what's happening? We know about what happened in the past but, but what's going to happen in the future, we, we don't quite know. We're not sure. Will there be ministry? I mean, is it all over? Will there be a new beginning? Is Jesus going to stay? Is he going to go? We, we just don't know. And sometimes in our lives, it gets a little bit misty like that. We're just not sure. 
you know, we, we know about what happened in the past, but, but what's happening now, what's happening in the future, we're just not quite sure. We're in that kind of an in-between place. Maybe all that's been familiar has gone. And now we're wondering, well, well what does the future hold? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Do you simply do what you know to do? Do you simply do what you already know to do, apart from what you don't know what to do? You see, the disciples, they took a course of action here. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the rest of the disciples thought, well, that's a good idea. We'll go also. Now, opinion has been divided on whether this course of action was the right course of action. We could say that it was unbelief caused them to do this. Lack of faith. Lack of trust in God. Going back to the old lifestyle they had before as fishermen. On the other hand, we could say that in their position, not knowing what their future held, knowing that all that was in the past was gone, knowing that that, if I could use the term, that evangelistic band that they had with Jesus was shattered and broken up, and that while they were in that position, well, all their daily needs were met. They had food, they had water, they had somewhere to go. You know, their whole needs were taken care of. You know, the evangelistic band had a budget, they had a treasure. You know, so they never went without. But suddenly, all of that's gone. So what are they going to do? Uh, they can't starve. They've got to do something. They've got to eat. And so quite naturally, the first thing comes to mind after a while when they realize, well, things is not going to be the way they were before. This is what they're thinking. So we've got to do something. So what do they do? They do what they knew to do, was to fish. That's what they were good at. That's what they were familiar with. That's what they were gifted to, what they were capable of. And so they did that. Now, Jesus never rebuked them for that. Never condemned them for that. Didn't say anything about that at all. So maybe we're being too hard on them if we say it was their lack of faith or their distrust in their future in God. Maybe at that point it was the only thing they could do was to go fishing. But actually, Jesus had a better plan. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do with them. Jesus had something planned for them. Now, mostly whenever we are tested and tried, it's usually when we're wondering, what is God up to? What is going on right now? I don't understand this place I'm in. That which is familiar seems to be slipping away from me, and I look out into the future, and I'm just not sure what's ahead. What's God up to? What is his plan? What does my future hold? And in those times, like the disciples, it's an opportunity for us to grow in faith and in trust and believing and holding on and trusting Christ in those times. Now let's see what happens to the disciples that night they went fishing. Let's see if we can learn something from them, something about our walk with God. 
Now remember, these are the men who are going to change world history. These are the men that were going to impact world religion in an immense way. These were going to be the trailblazers of Christianity, which today, after 2,000 years, is the biggest, fastest-growing religious movement on the face of the earth, far, far above Islam, by the way, statistically. Far above Hinduism and Buddhism, Christianity is the fastest, biggest-growing religious movement on the face of the earth. These were the men who were going to trailblaze it. But they're in this in-between time. They don't know that yet. They're unsure what's going to happen to their lives. And so, they go fishing. So let's see what happens in this fishing expedition. First of all, verse 3, it says, They caught nothing. Quite stark, isn't it? They caught nothing. What if they had have caught something? What if they had came back with a boatload of fish that by their skills, their giftings, their ingenuity, and their wisdom, what if they had come back that morning with a great big boatload of fish? Do you think they would have learned any lessons? Do you think they would have been the wiser about their future? The only thing they would have learned by that is, hey, we're still good at our old job. That's the only thing they would have learned. But God had something else for them to learn. And sometimes we have to come to the end of our resources or the end of our resourcefulness before we see God's hand at work. And that's exactly what happened to these men. On that night, all their resourcefulness didn't bring a thing in. They caught nothing. Now, if they had to come back with a boatload of fish that they had caught, then perhaps it would have been much more difficult for them to trust God in the future and in their future ministries and in their future lives. Remember, Jesus deliberately waited until Lazarus was dead four days. Deliberately. Remember that when Jairus sent for him, by the time Jesus got to Jairus' house, the child was already dead. Why bother the master? Remember at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee that the wine had already run out before Jesus got involved. And so all of that is showing us that there's times God deliberately waits until the resources are over until resourcefulness is no longer doing it, until we see that by ourselves it's not enough. That God's got to step in and He's got to do something. And so they caught nothing. And then in verse 4, it says, When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Sometimes the Lord comes to us in ways that we may not initially recognize Him. Now, from where Jesus was on the shore to where they were in the boat was 200 cubits, which is about 100 yards. A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your fingers, roughly 18 inches in the average man. So it's about 100 yards. 
I remember that morning, early morning they came back. So the sun hadn't risen. It was still gloomy. Some light, but not enough for them to see exactly who that was. And so, he was close, but they didn't recognize him. Now, could it be, could it be, they had actually changed form? Because immediately after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to two in Mark 16, verse 12, and his form was changed, that they did not recognize him. You remember the two walking from the road to Emmaus? It says that their eyes were restrained from knowing him. So in those two cases, God did something deliberately that they would not recognize him immediately. And so it could be in this instance, and I suspect that it was, it could be in this instance that they didn't recognize him because he didn't look exactly as how they remembered he would look. And sometimes God comes to us in ways that we just don't simply initially recognize him. It could be, for instance, that they thought that maybe he was just somebody coming down to the shore that morning to buy some fresh fish. Now, that was a common thing. People would wait for the fishermen to come home from the night's fishing. They would get there to get the freshest fish they could possibly get for their home or for their business. And, and so they, they just may have thought, well, it's just a stranger coming to buy some fish. And so they didn't recognize him. There can be all kinds of reasons why we may not necessarily initially recognize the Lord when he comes to us in our time of need, in our time of uncertainty, in our time of indecision. Mary Magdalene, on that resurrection morning, didn't recognize Jesus, supposing him to be the gardener. You think if anybody would recognize the Lord, it would have been her, but she didn't. And then Jesus, in verse 5, he speaks. And he says to them, Children, have you any food? And the word children there, if we could put it into our vernacular, would be like, Hey, fellas. Hey, boys. That's what it means in the vernacular. Have you any food? How many people know this morning that when the Lord asks a question, he already knows the answer. You know that, don't you? Because he's God, he knows everything. So why ask the question? Why ask them, have you any food, when he knows full well they don't have a thing in the boat? Well, perhaps it is so that whenever he asks us a question, he already knows the answer, is to solicit from us something who we are, where we are, what we have, what we can do. He wants a response from us. Remember he said to Moses, God said to Moses, what is in your hand? Well, it was obvious what was in his hand. It was a staff. I mean, surely God knew what a staff is. He's, he made the tree that it came from. So he's not asking Moses a question he doesn't know the answer to. It's for Moses' sake, isn't it? What is in your hand? 
He's trying to say to Moses, Moses, what is in your hand is more than just a piece of wood. When I get involved, it's much more than that. In fact, when you hold it out, it'll do miraculous things. What is in your hand? Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned and they ran and hid in the garden, God says, where are you? Not which bush are you hiding behind, he knew that. But where are you in relationship to me now that you've sinned and rebelled? Said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> he said to Cain, where is your brother? Cain says, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Wrong answer, wasn't it? And so, often God asks us questions to pinpoint to us where we are at that particular time or what we have or who we are. And so Jesus is simply getting these men to acknowledge that they had come to the end of their resources. Have you any food? No, was the answer. And that was the right answer. Now, and only now, can he do something for them. Only now can he intervene and show them who he really is and give them some encouragement of what they were going to become because they were going to become fishers of men. He already told them that, didn't he? And so he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now you see, we, re we read through these scriptures because they're so familiar and oftentimes we miss something. So I want you to hang on here with me. First of all, they didn't recognize Jesus by sight. And it's obvious at this moment they're not even recognizing him by sound. They don't even recognize his voice. I don't know, I was thinking this the other day, I don't know whether, you know, if you maybe some television actor or movie actor or something like this, somebody who's maybe acted away maybe in 1970. And 40 years later, you know, in 1970, was this young, handsome, virile, film star, TV actor. 40 years later, he's now this old fella acting as somebody's granda. And he, you look at it and you hardly recognize him. You know, he's got a big belly. His hair's thin. He's 40 years older looking. But his voice is the same, isn't it? You always recognize the voice, don't you? It doesn't seem to change. But Jesus is speaking to them and they don't recognize even his voice. Mary Magdalene, as soon as Jesus said, Mary, instantly she recognized his voice. But they don't. And sometimes we are slow in recognizing God's voice when he speaks to us. But it seems unfamiliar when he does it a different way. Now, here's this stranger that they don't recognize by sight, they don't even recognize his voice, and he's telling them to do something. Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So why take the advice of a stranger? That would be a bit odd, isn't it? 
Why would they do that? Well, there's a natural reason for doing that. Let me explain. Not all fish was caught out in the deep. Often fish would be caught closer into shore. And sometimes the person on the shore can see what the person in the boat can't see. Sometimes because of sunlight or because light hitting the water and there's no polarized glasses in those days and the angle of somebody standing at the shore, they could see a shoal. So that was a common thing. That wasn't uncommon. People did that. So they thought, oh, hey, this stranger, he's seeing some we're not seeing. He's seeing a shoal on the right side of the boat. So they did that. The reason why I'm telling you that is this, that sometimes God speaks to us in ways, sometimes through a simple way or a common way. And we don't even think that it's God speaking. We go ahead and do it because it seems a good idea or we get an impulse or somebody has advised us or somebody has encouraged us and we go ahead and do it never thinking that the Lord was behind that piece of advice or that encouragement or that prompting or whatever it may be. So, having nothing to lose, they did it. And here they are, not recognizing the Lord, not even recognizing His voice, but yet they're doing what He wants them to do. And this is the mystery sometimes of how God leads and directs. Be lovely if every time he recognized his voice. It would be lovely if every time he knew exactly who it was and exactly what to do and we knew it was exactly the Lord telling us this. But it doesn't work that way a lot. Many, many times we take a good advice or we take an encouragement here or we take a prompting there or we listen to something we hear or something we read and we act on that not knowing that the Lord had brought that in our way, through our way, or the Lord brought that person through our way, or that track through our way, or that piece of information, or whatever it may be. And suddenly we act on it. And so what happens, verse 6, so they cast, and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. And I've often said when I read that scripture, Sometimes your breakthrough is closer than you think. Sometimes your answer is nearer than you ever imagined. For these disciples, it was just the width of a boat. That's how close it was, just the width of a boat. And sometimes we're very, very, very close to getting the answer that we need, getting the breakthrough that we desire, and we're so close to it, sometimes we just can't see it yet. It hasn't happened yet, but it's close. And then in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John the writer, that's the way he loved to address himself, always called himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. He said to Peter, It is the Lord. Ah. Ah. Hindsight is always clearer than foresight, isn't it? So easy to look back on events in our lives and say, do you know, the Lord was behind that. I, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't understand it. But looking back on that, that, that was the Lord's guidance and leading, even though I didn't recognize it. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You don't always see it. But looking back, you can say, the Lord was in that. 
He was in that phone call. He was in that chance meeting with that person. He was in that letter I got. He was in that sermon I listened to. He was in whatever it was. The Lord was in that. So this is John the Beloved. And I think he began to think, hey, remember they hadn't recognized him physically, hadn't even recognized his voice, but after this great catch of fish, it says they were large fish, 153 large fish, a multitude of fish, not little sprats around the shore, large fish that you expect to find out in the deep. And suddenly I think John thought, hey, too many coincidences here. Why is there only one stranger on the shore? There's normally more than that. Come on to meet the fishermen. Huh? How, how come he could see the shoal there? Because the sun hasn't even got up yet. How, how could he see that from there? And, and, and why is the net not breaking? Because, you know, have we ever caught it? Because the first time they caught a great catch of fish that Jesus sent them to, the net broke. So why is the net not breaking? There's too many coincidences here. And sometimes when we look back on our lives, what seemed coincidences, chance meetings and happenings, wasn't. It was the Lord after all, wasn't it? It was the Lord after all. And so John says, this just has to be the Lord. You remember what happened then? Hmm. Verse 7, Then that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Now that's... Peter, isn't it? Impetuous. <laughs> Wouldn't wait. Just couldn't wait. If it was the Lord, he was going to get to him first, wasn't he? That's what Peter's like. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but 200 cubits or 100 yards, as we said, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid in it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. There's no point in trying to surmise why there's 153. There's been some amazing, amazing stories that people have attributed to the 153 fish, which I wouldn't bore you with today. You need a vivid imagination to get something out of it, but nevertheless, I think it's just telling us that this was a huge catch. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. So let's just finish by making just a couple of observations. I think this story is telling us that even when we can't see the Lord, He sees us. He sees us. Even if we don't recognize and know Him, He knows us. And He knew exactly where they were that night. He knew exactly what they were up to. He knew exactly how they would feel that morning. And He was there waiting on them, coming to the end of their resources so that He could work a miracle. He could give them a breakthrough. That He could show them how much His hand was in their lives. His supply is always greater than our need. His answer is always greater than our question. His wisdom is always greater than our knowledge. His future plans are always greater than our past. Thank God. Amen.
Now let us close with this. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. And then this strange, strange sentence. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Why do you think it puts that? Is that not implying that they wanted to? Is that not implying that they would have loved to ask him that question? Who are you? What's the point in putting that there? Who are you? And then it says, knowing it was the Lord. How did they know it was the Lord? How did John know it was the Lord before he'd even met him there? How did he realize that was the Lord? Because he still hadn't recognized his voice, still didn't recognize his form. He knew in his heart. He knew by faith. He knew by the inner knowing. Now that's encouraging for us today. Because the chances of us literally, physically seeing the Lord this time at the side of eternity is probably not very high. You might and you could, but the chances are you won't. So how are you going to know it's the Lord? By faith. By your heart. By the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. Listen, these disciples, when Jesus, and after 40 days, when he met with them before he ascended, and he told them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. After that, they would no longer have him in the flesh. They'd have to go out and preach about him, talk about him, witness for him, but he would no longer be there with them in the flesh. They'd have to believe in their hearts. They'd have to believe by faith. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have believed. So even though we have not seen his form, even though we have not physically probably heard his audible voice, which is quite rare, but we all believe today. How do we believe? By faith in our hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just the same way that they were going to have to live their lives. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? And then it adds, Knowing, knowing it was the Lord. See, these stories are put here in Scripture for our admonition, aren't they? To encourage us. Because we have to walk by faith, not by sight. We have to believe every single day. And should we never see Jesus until he comes or calls, we've got to believe every single day with the eye of faith. And we've got to trust that that still small voice, that inner voice that we hear that's not audible, that that is the Lord speaking and directing and guiding. And we have got to believe that right now, even as we sit here today, that he is planning for us and at any moment, at any time, when we come to the end of our resources or even our resourcefulness, He will be there waiting to bless and to supply and to encourage. Amen? Let's pray.
Apostle Paul speaking here about the Lord's table. I'm going to invite those who are going to serve, if you would come please and just get it prepared. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul said, For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we thank you for Calvary today.